This is The Lid Is On, I'm Connor Lennon, and on this episode, we're talking water. In March, the UN held the Water Conference, only the second since 1977. It took place at UN headquarters, and I got the chance to interview some of the experts and UN officials who were there as part of the SDG Media Zone. For this episode, we're going to share one of those sessions, recorded a day after the release of the World Water Development Report, which warned of a looming global water crisis. Yes, this is the SDG Media Zone, and it is day one of this historic UN Water Conference, the first of its kind since 1977. And also, happy World Water Day, everyone. So you've probably already come across the UN World Water Development Report, this year's edition. It was released yesterday, and it warns of an imminent risk of a global water crisis. We've also learned that between two and three billion people are experiencing water shortages, and that will increase unless international cooperation is significantly ramped up. Rick Connor is an environmental scientist and water expert. He's been the editor-in-chief of the report for the last 10 years. Neil Dott is the executive director of Aquafed, the International Federation of Private Water Operators. And Kristin Meyer is a program management officer at the UN Office for Disaster Risk Reduction. And they're here with me today. Thank you all very much for coming. And Rick, I want to start with you. As I said, this World Water Development Report came out yesterday talking about a global water crisis. You've been in charge of these reports for about a decade now. How has that message changed over those years? Interesting question. Um, how has it changed? I mean, the, statistically, things evolve uh, so that, you know, you, you have an increasing amount of people that are covered by water and sanitation services, but the, the progress that we're seeing is definitely not enough. Um, I think one of the things that's evolved is the, rec- oh, the recognition of a lot of the interconnectedness of water, uh, whether it's, you know, going from gray in- infrastructure and embracing um, nature, uh, what we call nature-based solutions. Uh, you know, there is a greater movement to that. There's a greater movement of towards inclusive, inclusiveness. So whether it's not just gender, but uh, pro-poor approaches, recognizing that, you know, the, the old story that water is everyone's business, that remains true. But to solve or to address the, the problems, you can't do it. You can, nobody can do the business themselves. You really have to, you have to work together towards solutions. And that's led to the theme of this year's report, which is cooperation and partnerships. And is having a water conference going to make a big difference? As we said, the first since 1977. So you must feel like the spotlight is finally on you. Yeah, well, to a certain extent, the... The thing is that the question of water is all so omnipresent that it's almost not surprising that there hasn't been a conference on water. Uh, especially at the international level, you know, there is no conference of parties for water. There's no, you know, that you see for biodiversity or climate change. Because water is, it's much more, you know, biodiversity doesn't enter your homes every day the same way water does. And so governments themselves are, tend to be uh, more aware 
in, in, more involved than uh, than they would be in other sectors, so that there might not be this this push for an international summit or an international conference. But I think you know what is it, forty seven years or something is is ridiculously long. So I would hope that we will have a, a, a follow up within a decade or so to truly take stock of what we what we can accomplish. And international cooperation has been a big part, as you were just saying, a really important part of making progress on water-related issues. Does this mean that you don't really think it's happening? Progress? or International cooperation at the level that you would like. Oh, well, well again, uh, you've got towards increasing transboundary cooperation where you have shared water resources between countries uh, that's where you have sort of uh, above na above national or you know supra national uh, uh, cooperation the the idea of maybe having some sort of general worldwide agreement on water well what would be the objectives? We already have water and sanitation as you know recognized as human rights. Uh, so, you know what? I don't. I I fail to see what could be beyond that, and what it, unless it is something that would indeed push the different uh, different countries to meet their sustainable development goals. Well, I think that Kristen is the obvious person to, to turn to after that. Then you can shine a bit more of a light on the importance of cooperation and, and what you're doing within your office. So as I said, you're from the UN Office for Disaster Risk Reduction. And uh, your office says that over the last decade, nine out of 10 of the disasters triggered by natural hazards were water-related. So first of all, just give me some examples of these um, water-related natural disasters. Well, first of all, I would uh, like to correct the, the word natural disasters. So actually, there is nothing natural about disasters. Um, disasters can happen, but uh, if we take appropriate action, then they don't have to turn into disasters. We have a lot of natural hazards, of course. Um, we know that there, the number of floods, the number of droughts um, is increasing. We have seen that through the um, IPCC report, which is um, a big a scientific report um, that uh, comes out uh, every year. And it, it does give us the data that uh, these challenges of too little water or too much water are increasing. But there are things that we can do um, to not uh, harm people and to prevent such hazards actually turning into disasters. And this is really where um, cooperation comes in. Um, and this is also what we're promoting. And one part of the discussion tomorrow will be to really look at those linkages between climate change, uh, resilience building, and also the, the role of biodiversity and, and ecosystems within that to prevent um, disasters from happening. And I think bringing those different streams together is, is where we're headed right now. And I think that's a big uh, new movement. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of progress um, in, in the international debate and uh, in the international community. And this is also where we can, uh, I think, make the, the biggest impacts of, of bringing those different uh, things together and making a better impact for people on the ground. I know you've got a big meeting coming up in May. We'll come back to that shortly and we'll see what kind of difference that can make. But Neil, uh, thank you for waiting patiently there. The representative of the private sector, 
Could you tell me, what do you think, in your view, the role should be or is already for private companies in what we've been talking about here, getting people around the table, international cooperation, to improve issues surrounding water-related issues? Hi, Connor. So, I, I mean, private sector is a very, very broad term representing all types of different companies. I can speak on behalf of our companies, Aquafed companies, which are private operators who, who operate public-private partnerships. And there already, I think, lies the answer. It's a public-private partnership. And the, the way to make the PPP successful is highlighted in, in the World Water Development Report because it talks about inclusive stakeholder collaboration. And that is key. And I'll tell you why. Because if you, however a, a kind of water or, or wastewater service is operated, you need to have public buy-in for that. And then you, need, you need to have um, public you know, consulted before that happens and involved during the process and during the operation of the contract. So, for example, you have to make sure that the, the private operators are producing data, which we do, with transparent and open data, which we do, right? And it's up to the public authority who we work under. We've seen many examples of our, of our members have told us, particularly in developing countries, where you're extending out the, the, the public water system and getting new people to connect. You can't do that without the help of civil society, right? For example, there's a great example in India uh, where we've worked with the local women in the community to uh, convince the other ladies, who are the real bosses of the house, to, to have that connection and to not buy more expensive tankered water. Right? So it works, of course, at a global level. We talk about the value of partnerships, but it goes right down to the local level and, and making sure that those basic human rights parameters around accessibility, availability, that they're delivered through the private sector. And from your point of view, do you accept that we're living through a global water crisis? I don't think there's any doubt about it, but I don't like the word crisis only because it makes us sometimes... Uh, focus on the wrong, wrong things, which is about a, a huge problem, whereas we have to think about the answers, and that's what we're here for this week, about the solutions. So we need to be solutions-focused and not just scare everyone into thinking everything's so bad that it can't be done, because we can fix this. Well, uh, let's, just, let's just go back to, to the, the report and some of those stats, again, without wanting to scare everyone, but this is what your report says, Rick. Half the global population is living in conditions of water stress. Urban water demands are going to increase 80% by 2050. And meeting the cost of all this, you've done a big rounding up, and you say it's going to cost about a trillion. So is, is this the starting point for trying to raise a trillion? You have to, if we're going straight for the money, uh, we have to be careful. Now, the trillion, and it's somewhere... I, it's been revised a little since the since the report is actually some people are saying it's more along the lines of 600 billion but we're still talking about the same order of magnitude where does that money come from well uh, there's things like for instance the climate change funds the climate change funds are worth you know a half a trillion just themselves but for the most part you know when it comes to climate change and funding for climate change, most of the funding goes towards mitigation, which is re reduction of greenhouse gases. And so the water sector has not really had access to this, you know, to these funds. But there's a lot that you can do with respect to water management that actually reduces greenhouse gases, and that would make uh, protection of wetlands, for instance, allows for carbon sequestration, but 
it also has benefits of water quality, water storage, water availability. Now, there should be the it's and it's up to the commu the water community that's gathered here to work a little harder to tap into the climate funds to 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 start raising at least part of this uh, this money that is required um, to meet the SDGs. Another example is wastewater in terms of wastewater treatment. Uh, the at the end of your wastewater treatment system, you have what is it, this muddy organic rich substance that, if uh, most often than not, it decomposes in an anaerobic way, which means in the absence of oxygen, which basically means that you're going to create biogas, also known as methane or CH4. Now, this methane you can use to power the the plant itself. Thus, reducing the amount of uh, the amount of energy required and saving on that energy, and stopping that greenhouse gas from coming out of the treatment plants. So that's another way to you know to to, to meet this this six hundred uh, you know six hundred billion is not necessarily all just new money, new investment coming in. There are much different, better ways to, uh, to, save, to create savings on the, in the way we do things now. Okay, so about the money, but not just about the money. Uh, that's one of the things you want to get out of this conference. Uh, Kristen, what does the UN Office for Disaster Risk Reduction want to achieve from this conference? What would you like to see coming out of this? Yeah, so um, I think one big um, thing for us is really to build those partnerships because uh, cooperation for us is key. We can only succeed to address disaster risks um, if we work together, if we have um, the right kind of information, um, the data, um, the, the knowledge that different uh, stakeholders hold. And also, of course, uh, we promote a what we call a whole-of-society approach um, that really takes everyone uh, in, in, the, in society with us along the way and makes sure that uh, people are informed and have access to the right kind of information. You've probably heard already, um, because this has been a big topic uh, in the lead-up to this conference, this call from the Secretary-General uh, to early warnings for all and really uh, enabling everyone and to have access to the right kind of information to be informed and to act accordingly uh, when a hazard actually comes towards us and could turn into a disaster. But uh, one of the big things also for us is that we would like to see how we can take the outcomes of this conference uh, to our uh, conference, which you already alluded to, which is happening in May. So we are the... Um, uh, agency that looks after the Sendai framework, which is um, a global agreement um, between countries uh, that deals with how we address disaster risks. And uh, water-related risks, as we know, uh, really have to be addressed. So we're really hopeful to see what uh, member states come up with here, what kind of commitments are coming out of this conference that we can then also uh, take forward in, in the conference that we're organizing in, in May. And Neil, for you and your industry, what, what do you think should be achieved by the end of this conference on Friday? Well, what I'd like to see is uh, a, com a commitment to the commitments, quite honestly, in the water action agenda. 
because you know uh, private sector and others have made uh, commitments to take actions and they should be hopefully fairly bold and and clear and i think what's needed is a sense of self-accountability here because there's no point the stakeholders at this conference saying well you know we've put these things up but uh, who's going to measure it well measure it yourself just do it because um, what, you know what i'd like really is a, a new kind of sense of working cooperation you don't come to new york just to talk and and, and go i think sort of new partnerships and, and new ways of working together they're out there already we know what they are we just got to go do them and they're outlined in the world water development report this year and every other year and I would like to see a kind of systematic approach to really pushing the expertise that is already documented, that we already have in this sector. We know what to do. It's just about a real renewed sense of action for the next five years. Well, there's far more we could all say, but these sessions are short and sweet. We're running out of time already. And I do want to give the opportunity to anyone who wants to ask any questions. Actually, in the audience here, we do have one of the authors of the report. Uh, Ricardo Zanaro from the UN Environment Programme. If we can get a microphone to Ricardo. Oh, very kind, Neil. Thank you very much. Um, Ricardo, so you're from the UN Environment Programme, as I said. Is there anything, listening to the, the three experts that we have here, is there anything that hasn't been mentioned that you think that, that we should all know about when it comes to the themes that have been covered today? Thank you, Connor, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, I was listening carefully, and I don't think there is much to add. Um, we were very happy and privileged to contribute to this chapter of the report. And I think what emerged was that partnerships are absolutely key to address the triple planetary crisis and to tackle basically all the challenges that we have. There's no other way around it. And like Christine mentioned, we are also here to build, strengthen and build more partnerships. We already host some of them, um, but they need to be strengthened even more. And I think the only point that I want to suggest is to carefully look at the partnerships we already have. Sometimes we are praising our partnerships. We want to demonstrate how strong they are, but maybe it's not enough to deliver what we need to deliver. So I think the essence of chapter three is exactly to say, this is the only way forward, but we also need to be critical and be very specific about what we want to do through the partnerships. I will just stop here because enough has been said, but thanks for the opportunity to add on that. Thanks, Ricardo. And yes, we are unfortunately out of time. Thank you very much to our panel, Neil Dodds, Kristin Meyer, and Rick Connor. You've been listening to The Lid Is On, and this episode was recorded live as one of the SDG Media Zone sessions at the UN Water Conference, which took place between the 22nd and 24th of March. We'll be back with more watery but not watered-down content next week. <laughs>